Hello, this is Matthew Putman, and you're listening to Utility Function. Last week, I sat down with artist and director Smirti Kashari, whose work covers a spectrum of moving image and explores underrepresented themes and experiences. Smirti is known for her acclaimed film, The Bomb, which has been shown throughout the world and was heralded as a stunning approach to the plea for nuclear disarmament. She is currently working on a five-part multimedia series that delves into the ethical questions surrounding artificial intelligence. Her film within the series debuts this summer. I enjoyed this conversation and hope you do too. Thanks for coming, Smirti. Thank you for having me. You're, you're an artist in residence at Pioneer Works, a place that is very special to me. I've been involved from well, near the beginning. Uh, but you've done so much more. You're also uh, the National Theatre in London, is that right? Uh, but you're going to be doing a screening at Pioneer Works of your acclaimed film, The Bomb, which I thought was amazing. Uh, but we're going to speak a little bit about another multi-part work you're doing on AI. Uh, for one thing, of course, we're deeply involved with AI here. Yeah. And I'm personally incredibly interested and speak a lot about where creativity and uh, machinery and artificial intelligence, who we are as humans, and those things that we create, what are those? And you're digging into it from so many different interesting angles. So I, I hope we get a chance to speak about that a little bit. Definitely. Yeah, I'm excited to dig deep into it. So one of your pieces, maybe you could and it's always hard when you're in one medium, especially when I think about your work. It's all about taking these different medium. Mm -hmm. Can you talk just a little bit about that first? Why not be making a film about AI or a sculpture? What is the entire uh, point of having these different medium work together? Absolutely. That's a great question, and it's something I, I think about all the time. Um, when I had created The Bomb with, with Eric Slosher, who wrote the book Command and Control, um, the, the book left such a profound effect on me and it made me, it took me on this deep emotional journey. It made me feel quite angry and quite sad and quite, it opened me up to this reality that I wasn't fully aware of as well. And so I, I knew, and this is something we talked about at the same time, was that we wanted to be able to take people through this like visceral, emotional experience of nuclear weapons at that point. So that, that kind of prompt in the beginning of how can you take people through something that is more emotional, more visceral, less didactic. It's less someone telling you how to feel, but actually l trusting the audience that they can move through the space or that they can, they don't need to be handheld and, and, and told a thesis and then explained it again and again and again. Um, I was really interested in how all of these different mediums, different forms could help allow people to have a deeper understanding of AI. And I'll, I'll mention one thing with, with artificial intelligence in a way similar to nuclear weapons, you know, it, it's so hard to see it. It's so hard to have, um, it's, it's, it, it has no body, it has no it's form. It's a black box. Yeah, and it's evolutionary in nature. At least with a nuclear weapon, the few people, less than 1% who have seen it, talk so much about the power of the machine the seduction of the machine, the ingenuity, the science behind it. And with, and so that's where they are different. But 99% of people don't get to see one. And it is, it has such a 
you know, it has such a profound effect on us. So with AI, it has such a, you know, it, it's so fascinating. There's so much optimism around it. There's so much pessimism around it. Um, and I wanted to, I think, for me, it comes always from the point of view of trying to understand it myself, of what exactly is it, um, who's working on it, why, and what are the different fields of it. Um, and then after ingesting all of that, and that was about a year and a half, um, trying to make sense of, okay, how can I create experiences that actually allow people to ask more questions? Because I'm not here to provide answers. It was more to have a deeper understanding of, of artificial intelligence. Right. One thing's going to strike somebody and they're going to realize there's something in their daily life that is yeah. affecting them that they hadn't thought to ask before. Mm -hmm. oh, that's, yeah. When you think about AI, I mean, there's, there's everything from, you know, uh, you know, Siri mm -hmm. to, um, to, to AlphaGo. And mm -hmm. we'll talk a little bit about that. I want to get into some of the work you've done around this. Do you have a general sense of when somebody's listening to this and we're going to talk more about AI, where n normal sort of computer science ends and artificial intelligence begins? How, not that you need to get into this deeply, but just so that we have a sense of where you're coming sure, from. Sure, yeah. So um, I want to tell you just quickly about my process, which was I spent um, about a year and a half um, talking to 30 to 40 leading scientists, experts, engineers, companies from DeepMind as one of them, IBM Watson, other, basically anyone who I knew or was connected to who was um, talking about the subject matter. So everyone from Stuart Russell to like Manuel Veloso to like Lynn Parker, everyone all across to get a deeper understanding of what they were working on and what it was and how they were defining it. And it was really fascinating because it got me into this world of trying to understand everything from autonomous agents to different cognitive structures. Um, and the way that perhaps, and I'm pulling this straight from them, the way that I often think about or define intelligence, if, if you know, to answer that question, or artificial intelligence, is, is that um, comparison to flight of how, you know, we, um, for so long, we were trying to imitate uh, bird. birds, but it wasn't until the Wright brothers came up with forward propulsion that we were able to achieve the same end result, intelligence, but in completely different ways. And what was amazing talking to these experts was that they're working at everything from some looking at like swarm intelligence and the way that ants work. Others are just operating in at like image recognition as a, as a form of intelligence. Some people are looking at sort of biological enhancements. So there was, it, it was I have to say it was it was really um, is fun the right word? It was quite interesting diving deeper into it because it is defined in so many ways. Yeah. So to to you, if you're going to look at this large project somehow the definition can morph and be different things to different people so you're but your ground your grounding in this is actually through practitioners of it and then an art an artistic creation from that can i ask you about a specific piece sure absolutely so you have a, a, a sculptural work that is oh i mean you can i'm sure explain it better but it's Python code mm -hmm. um, that is the the compiled code that was behind AlphaGo mm -hmm. yeah. that powered AlphaGo. Uh, 
you mention AlphaGo as being a sort of seminal moment in artificial intelligence. Uh, I'm not sure how many of our uh, listeners are familiar with the basic technology behind it, but uh, this idea of using deep reinforcement learning agents. So the, these these artificial intelligence agents that are being rewarded or penalized in order to achieve a goal, and then it does it in many non uh, yeah, unintuitive human ways. Now, if we take the you know the just the code and make a physical thing of it, it feels like it comes alive to me. Can you speak a little bit about this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was oh, I'm so happy to hear that because that was exactly. I think one of the things that I was interested, I was thinking about the Academy Awards, and I was like, huh, mm -hmm. you know, when you have an Academy Award for Best Sound Design, you take a step, you take a part of the process, and you sort of highlight it by giving it value, more value, right? It's the same with, like, the making of the Manhattan Project, and both of my parents are scientists, so... I just love, and I grew up, I was born in a science campus in Banaras, Hindu University in India. And I just love this, you know, I imagine I have photos of my parents in their, in their early 30s just making one small thing. Yeah. And how often with, like, with the Manhattan Project, everyone was working on like one specific thing. Um, and for that reason, I thought like, if you could give an Academy Award to, to code, if you will, what are these like? What are these like codes that kind of maybe deserve it? That are pivotal moments, and by that you're highlighting it. You're giving more like more value and the opportunity of ethics around it as well. Because then, what is this code leading to? Um, right, because the code by itself isn't actually exactly. anything until it's up there. It's a piece of art. So, like the trans, it's either the winning. Go player in the world. Yeah, it mm -hmm. becomes the champion that was this thing that humans hadn't achieved before, yeah. or it becomes a work of art. But my feeling is that the in between, the Python code itself, yeah, is just instructions. Exactly, and and so I'll, and I'll mention two things: is that one thing that I thought was kind of fascinating, and some will agree or disagree with this, is that the reason why it was able to, and I'll, I'll explain this for for listeners, is that. It basically played from the fifth line, which we had evolved out of being able to. If so, so we had evolved out of being able to use. So we, it was never taught that. So the fact that it went and and chose to play from the fifth line and won. Some argued, you know, shows creativity, shows spontaneity, shows what is the human special sauce. Would and you so, argue that? Um, and the questions of like humanity and how it affects us is something that's like the through line of, of my, of my work. I want to tell you about another piece that I'm sure, in, in development of, of because it relates to, um, the altar and, but beyond the code, there's also an entire process, um, which I often think of almost like a mechanical excavation process, like oil, right? Okay. So... Um, there's another piece that I'm making, it's called Anatomy of an AI. Yeah. And it's essentially positioning the making of artificial intelligence. It's really inspired by a piece of work by Kate Crawford at AI mm. Now as well. Um, I think it's just so stunning and so visual. And it shows 
that there is basically this like planetary resources, all of this human labor and massive amounts of data that goes in the making of it. Because my question of like, why now? Why are we so into it now? Data computing power. But then what goes behind that? Um, so the code is just an entry point. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like the altar. You open it and then you go in into this like world. So I'm creating, a, it's a multi-screen and dance performance piece. It's a multimedia piece that basically exists in, the, exists in these three narrative environments. And music is a big part of that. So I'm trying to, in the process of looking as, well, what does the sound of AI actually look like when we're looking at all of the planetary resources, perhaps, that it relies on? What does it look like from a human standpoint? And what does it look like from, you know, with data? So it's been such a, a creatively fulfilling process to, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, you don't want to get down to whether an AI could also be creative in the process? Could, um, could, could an AI create a process of a dance piece that you would consider to be a creative piece? It's interesting. So the, 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 I can't remember the specifics right now, but Wayne McGregor, um, he was an amazing choreographer out of the UK, is, is working on, on something along those lines right now. Um, I think he's still in development of it, of like, can an AI choreograph or perform like Wayne? Um, and do I, I think of artificial intelligence as a tool, you know, just another tool in the canvas. It's another brush that you have. Um, I myself, I thought that there was just so much incredible work out there that was using artificial intelligence. Um, and I frankly knew from the beginning that I wasn't necessarily interested in doing that. I mean, one of the reasons why I'm using dancers is because it's the most analog way to talk about something so digital. I was going to say that. You I know? mean, you know, I'm very involved with dance. I'm on the <coughs> board of New York Live Arts, which is uh, oh, really? Bill T. Jones, who well, yeah. dance choreographer I've loved for years. And um, it's, it is so, people think it's such a strange analog to my life of creating, um, you know, automation and all of the things that I do. I said, no, I want something that is purely human that I not only can't picture the route to, but I don't even want to. I, I, and this is what I yeah. love about the thing is that you're creating right now. It's it's a reflection yes. on on who we are. It's not it's not an augmentation. And when it is an augmentation, that's kind of interesting, but it's never replacement. Yes. And I yes. love that. And it's also, you know, I think about so artists, I, like I think about art and how artists aren't just holding up mirrors, actually also holding up hammers, you know, and in a way that they're able to not just reflect society, which is also really important, but by rooting it the, or by creating the piece, they're able to shape society, right? Mm -hmm. So I think about, yes, there are like this beautiful visualization that is, um, that exists out there and this is yet another way that people can experience it. And now, if, you know, outside of that performance, if someone can think of artificial intelligence as a mechanical excavation process, then they're like, oh, it's not just code. It's not just an agent. It's not just Siri. But there is an entire process behind it. That's being able to educate people, allowing them to have a deeper understanding relationship without telling them that. Okay, I ha and, okay. I was so stupid. I didn't fully get that. It's about the process of humans creating something that humans can't do on their own, so a tool, right. and that that tool happens to have 
a, a level of intelligence right that but the process interests you as much as the winning yeah i think so, i mean so cre creating AlphaGo is as, <clears throat> as important as AlphaGo winning my <clears throat> favorite part of interviewing um you know all of these people who are in it is actually more so to understand not just their process but also their motivation yeah. as to why are they so interested in it um, <coughs> and me. it's because like I grew up with my mom just you know telling me about her love for physics and how she thinks physics really has shaped the past and will shape the future you know um, and so process to me is really it's really fascinating um, because it, it, there's something so human about it when someone's excited telling me about like how they feel about the robot that in the last two weeks was able to do X, Y, or Z. And the way that they were talking about it is the way that like my sister-in-law talks about, you know, her child also. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, there's something so human and beautiful in it. And I'll mention one thing, which I can't wait to get your take on, is that um, one of the pieces I'm developing is um, it basically looks at, when I, when I spoke with a lot of people about why, why they were doing this, the one thing that kept coming up again and again and again was death, was combating mortality yeah. and, um, and consciousness and, and this quest for immortality. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so beautiful because from the beginning of time, from the Epic of Gilgamesh, the first story ever written about humanity, which is about you know, what, what happens when you have to face your mortality, um, again and again and again through religion, through like humanism, through all of these different ways, through indigenous cultures of how we make sense of ourselves, that has been at the through line. And then I looked up where the word consciousness is being used the most on the internet. And it is in, do you want to take a while, I guess? Um, it, it, it must be, I mean, it, from this conversation, you're going to say um, amongst AI ethicists. Northern California. Oh, what place? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, it certainly, I mean, it comes yeah. up in almost, almost every conversation I have, I found. You yeah. know, um, this, the, and, and it I, I think that AI does two things often, and one of them is creating this tool, um, mm -hmm. and that is this forward-looking thing. It is going to do this. I want yeah. it to do this and do it better than I could do because it's running through a neural net that is, or maybe not a neural net, maybe some symbolic logic, when any of these different ways that, that AI is, is done. And the other, it's, it's almost a diagnostic tool for understanding our own brains. Mm -hmm. uh, and th through that, then, you get to the idea of what could emulation be. And yeah. that's, why, that's why you have this, this intersection between, you know, brain emulation or uploading of the brain mm -hmm. and yeah. and what what is organic versus versus synthetic in this and then yeah. we, we see that through action versus and then prediction machines yeah yeah, yeah in prediction mm -hmm. machines exactly yeah. Uh, it yeah th this and, and that then brings up another level of you know naturalism versus you know, any type of spiritualism mm -hmm. so deal with are we all just atoms and, and bits? And if we are, then certainly an emulation. This is it's it's super fascinating. It's so fascinating, and it's so interesting. As you said, you almost have that conversation every time. 
I, it kept getting to that every single time. Well, you have Dennis at, at DeepMind, who's a neuroscientist, and you have Gary Marcus, who's a cognitive scientist. I mean, you find these different disciplines, which would never happen if it were just computer scientists. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, for me, I, I find it, I think of like, um, I think of my friend Claire, and she's always like the person I'm making work for. And I think of her, she's, um, she's in her early 30s, and she's a great, she's an art director. Um, and I want her to know about this. I want her to be like turned on by it. Mm-hmm. I want her to know that it affects her. You know, I want her to have a deeper understanding. And I know her, her taste, is, it's very musically di- driven. It's, she's really into the arts. Um, and so, you know, how can, if she's not listening to AI podcasts like this one, mm-hmm. hi Claire, she's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can but force her. I will force her. <laughs> um, how can, you know, and, and we, we've talked about this and she's like, she said, she's like, I don't exactly know what it is except for I know it's everywhere and I think it's a really good thing, but if I think about it too much, maybe it isn't. And... So to have a deeper understanding and to look at how it's affecting society, who is it leaving behind, and what are the social impacts of it? You know, what are the bias and prejudice? Um, to me, my work is an entry point that can then allow people to investigate deeper yeah. and not be only in Northern California. No. Poor Claire. Now I'm hoping she isn't listening to this. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so I honestly, obviously she's a proxy for everybody else <laughs> yeah. in my mind right now, not knowing Claire. Yeah. But when she says this to you, that it's a good thing, and then she stops and thinks about it some. And it's not, maybe not a part of her daily life to, to contemplate um, mm-hmm. artificial intelligence in the way that it is for somebody like people like us that are yeah. right now deep into it. Sure. Um, do you think when she says... And I'm gonna. And I really want you to think about her because there are a lot of people that are yeah. concerned about. It. Maybe it's not. You consider it's the existential conscious type questions, for or, or do you think it's more pragmatic about jobs or, I mean, mm-hmm. or if it's not Claire, mm-hmm. m- many people that you talk to yeah. who are not involved in the field. We know now that in Northern California, people are thinking about the existential question, you know, longevity. Is is related to artificial intelligence for for, for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. What about the Claire's? Yeah, I think that it, one of the things that the application of this technology is doing is that it's it's a fantastic prediction machine, right? And when it's predicting everything from, and I'm going to give you an example mm-hmm. of this. Um, I spoke to um, someone who was a scientist and expert and there was just after we after we were off the record he's telling me about his kid asking Amazon Alexa hey what is the capital of Boise Idaho and the dad was or what is the capital of Idaho mm-hmm. and the dad's like I know this and he's thinking about it you know but meanwhile Alexa has said Boise right the capital of Idaho is Boise and the dad said for a moment I just felt this sudden jealousy because knowledge yeah. has been my role right at the same time, my um, I have had friends who are just like basically have everything ordered and comes to them, and they don't have to think about it anymore. You know, Amazon similarly with books. You know, they it will tell you, um, oh, you liked this, you'll definitely like this music. I mean, Spotify is the ultimate prediction machine. So if your your taste in music, if music 
if um, and obviously dating applications, right? So if if music, if knowledge, if love, if your groceries, your food, if all of those things are becoming more and more automated, then what is left in you, Matthew Putnam? What yeah. is left in what it means to be human? But then how do we make sure that we're still practicing critical thinking? I, I guess how many different... If I'm looking at AI in, in the sense that you're talking about, I'm thinking of it as being, and I'm pulling it out of a sort of philosophical and making it more neuroscience. You think I think of a neural net at least, mm -hmm. so some type of machine learning type of AI as being fairly cortical, right? It's it's you know it's ma it's mapping neurons the way our our neocortex would, mm -hmm. but all of the rest of the brain, not all of the rest of it, but most is ignored in the process of doing that. Right. Um, when I hear you say that, and I could see this then translating to the creation of art, and maybe to the point of improvisation and conversation, mm -hmm. or and is is that we that is maybe something that is still inherently different between being human and being artificially intelligent. Do you do you feel that that have you thought of it in that way at all? Mm. The, the I mean. I agree with you in the sense that, like, we're just not even there yet that it can do everything that, you know, even a four-year-old can do, you know. So um, this is something <laughs> in my studio. I have a sign that says, don't philosophize too much, in parentheses. And although <laughs> I, I, love, um, I love being in that place, right, I'm no longer there. I need to get into the making of it. Um, I, I think it's important to know that the way that it's being used right now is not the way that us as humans functions. It's yes, not doing everything. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so for that reason, I'm not as, you know, worried about it as a, as an existential threat at all, <laughs> actually. Oh, and, and I, the, I actually and, was, yeah. I was wondering if you thought Claire was. Um, yeah, that's it. No, I don't think, I don't think. When no, somebody Claire, says maybe I should be worried about it. I don't think Claire is in that sense. You okay. know? I mean, there is the practical things that I, oh. that does concern me, such as like lethal autonomous weapons. Yeah. Um, and what, you know, and the fact that the, that the government is upgrading oh, yeah. their entire defense systems to be able to use, you know, if the facial recognition and so, so things that really concern me too. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I mean, it's really concerned me. Yeah. So in that sense, um, that's more of like a real immediate, you know, next five to ten yeah. year threat when you look at the Department of Defense Unmanned Systems Manual and what are the reasons that they're justifying why we need to upgrade our systems. And some of it I agree with. We do because it's aging systems. Um, it, it might actually be better in... in Precision in, yeah. attacks. But at, but at the same time... It, does it have the checks and balances? And are we then also entering into a new Cold War where we had upwards of 80,000 nuclear weapons, yeah. right? So there, the threat, in my mind, um, and now Claire? I, I want to step back to somebody you mentioned earlier, which was your mother. Yeah. And did you say both of your parents were... Uh, my mom is actually, no, I always say both. Um, my dad has a degree in physics, mm -hmm. and he has a master's, and then my mom has a PhD in quantum mechanics. And she was here at the quantum computing 
Summit. Oh, was she? I, I was out of town. Oh, well, yeah. okay, perfect. Mm -hmm. I, so I can talk about her? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I really want to talk about her influence on you. Um, science, certainly like Popperian science, you know, if you're looking at Popper in the, in the modern scientific method, um, is by its nature devoid of meaning because it has to be this re repeatable, measurable thing. That's the whole point, falsifiable, repeatable, measurable. Mm -hmm. And well, this is how we, this is one way at least of which we discover reality. Sure. Uh, how, how, is that the primary way that you grew up considering reality from a scientific vantage point? It's a bit of an anomaly it, I think my, my childhood, because I had these two scientist parents, and I also grew up in in India and Puerto Rico with, like, the Bhagavad Gita oh. and, like, Hinduism and these epics and sagas and these tales of the Mahabharata and the Ramayana. So, it, you know, it, it's kind of, it's interesting because this idea of, like, energy doesn't die, right? it evolves in form is what my mom said to me when I asked her what was reincarnation. <laughs> okay. Right? <laughs> but asking a scientist, do you believe in reincarnation is a completely different question. So she brings up thermodynamics so yeah, as, as exactly. the response. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so in a way, um, and, and I will say language is the other main pillar because um, Hindi is my first language, Spanish is my second language, and English is third. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it was, and so oftentimes my brother and I were translators for my parents also because we moved around so much. So it's interesting because you are, you know, with that kind of childhood, receiving so much information all of the time, you have to, and you're making decisions because you're making sense of. I remember the first time I saw an elevator, and I was nine, and just being like, "What, you know?" And then taking the first leap, and then because I was always the one who would go first, and then my family would follow. Um, but then at the same time, like my mom and the ideas that she like shared with us, and and what she was doing in the labs, and I grew up in the labs of the University of Puerto Rico, was just. You know, it it was so fascinating. I had no idea what was going on. And I would just ask so many questions. So I guess I always start off from that place of asking a lot of questions. And then having the brain that I think my brother and I have always had. And my brother is so artistic and, and wonderful. Is so he an proud. artist? He, um, well, he's a great writer. Mm -hmm. um, and he's he's just always been so naturally talented at everything. Um, but he's um, is a systems engineer right now at AT&T. Um, but having the brain that we do, it was making sense of it. Like, how can you experience all of these wild experiments or things that people are doing in these labs? How can you take it and almost be a translator or conduit to oh. allow others to experience it and know that it does affect them and you know so it's everything from like the seduction of mathematics and numbers and like we celebrate pi day every, you know growing up we always would i guess so you've been a translator <laughs> in a linguistic way in an 
scientific way and just in a human way since you were a child. I guess so, yeah. Oh, I hadn't thought about it too much, but yeah, I guess so. That's, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for doing that for us all. Thank Thanks you. for talking to me today. Yeah, I love this. Thank you. Great. Thanks. <laughs>